Hi Spurs people, thank you for tuning in again to the Steve Perriman podcast. Uh, seems like forever we've been away, uh, Tony Galvin doing the last two. Um, Tony really enjoyed his time on the podcast and I'm sure that you all enjoyed him um, with his northern straightforwardness and lovely manner. Uh, so I'm delighted to say that we have a special guest today. Um, his name is Steve Borthwick. And if you don't mind, Steve, I'm going to read this out. Steve played for Bath and Saracens rugby, of course. At international level, we represented the senior England rugby union team between 201 and 210, nine years and captain them between 208 and 210. He was appointed the England forwards coach in December 2015, a role which he left in mid 2020 to become head coach of Leicester Tigers. And for you that don't know, you Spurs people with blinkers on for only football, um, Leicester Tigers are top of their league, the, the, the best league and um, Yes, Steve is, is uh, welcome, Steve. Thanks very much. It's great, great to chat to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for joining us, um, Steve. We've got a number of things in common. Uh, we both live in Wiltshire. We both worked in Japan, yeah. and we're both called Stephen with a PH. Okay. Does anyone ever call you Stephen with a only, PH? Only, only my mother when I'm in a lot of trouble. Oh, no, I've done something wrong. And that's exactly the same with me. Yeah. Stephen, unfortunately, she's, she's not with us now. But uh, if I got the Stephen call, yeah. then I was in trouble. So, um, Steve, well done for your results this season. So, you joined Leicester Tigers mid-COVID. Uh, yeah. What, what a time to join a club. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, so at that point in time, the, the t everyone was in lockdown. Um, at that point, the club was working, everybody behind the scenes was working really hard to keep the club to survive. Um, the, 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 the custodians of the club, if you like, were, were really working to get try and secure it financially. Everybody um, accepted pay, pay um, decreases. Um, okay. So some people, some people decided they didn't want to do that and, and left the club. So um, the day I arrived, I wasn't 100%. The day I started, um, we, we wasn't sure exactly what, how many players were going to have um, decided not to have taken that cut and, and decided to have left the club. Um, so it was a bit of a tumultuous period. Uh, the club at that point was sitting very low down in the league. Um, so this is the middle of 2020. Um, they... And the season had about eight or ten games to finish, and um, at that point, the only the only kind of saving grace, if you like, is one other team had been found guilty of salary cap breaches and had effectively been relegated from the league. So they were going to didn't matter what was happening. They, they were going. They were going anyway. Yep. So I joined the team that was in a pretty sorry state, um, but we knew we couldn't get relegated that year. Yeah, that helps, eh? 
so it gave me an opportunity there to, to find out a lot about the players that yeah. that I could a load of young players could have got more game time than potentially they would have done if we'd been fighting to avoid relegation so I could learn about them and some young players really stepped up and showed the fight they had in them and how good they were yeah and uh, is that what clubs do they develop young players or you just happen to have got a lot of good young players at once yeah so the, the clubs that generally get in success year on year are the clubs that have keep producing their own um, if you like and that I think is a really important aspect when I was at Bath Bath brought through a lot of younger players and um, you, you always got the sense that these people really care deeply about the club and then when I joined Saracens the same and um, a great crop. I think there were another people talking football about the class of '92. When I was at Saracens, I joined in 2008, and there was a group of young players in 2008 that were coming through, many of whom are still in the England team now. So yeah. we're 13 years later, and they they came through, and Saracens ended up winning a lot of trophies with that group of players. And Leicester historically has always brought players through. Um, yeah. It's a good academy system, has a good network of around the region they operate in. And we're seeing some local boys really do well for the team. And yeah. and the fans, I think the fans really, um, that really appeals to fans. Um, I know I did when I was watching a lot of football, my teams, when it was local lads and local people, it really does appeal to the supporters. Yeah, I, I love that part of it. I love it. I was homegrown myself and I know what it meant to the... Uh, because they're homegrown supporters and you're a homegrown lad as well. So you um, you you came through the university system, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I, I came, the position I played in, um, everyone said to me, um, everyone said, you, you gotta, uh, you gotta, you're got to you not going to make it through until you're at least 21, 22 in the position I played. So go and get your degree, go, go to university and, and use the time, play rugby, train, but get your degree. Um, so I, I went to university, went to Bath Uni, and, um, and as it was, I joined, um, I, I was by the first year, by December of that first year, I got picked in the first team. So all those plans of having a two or three year window to get <laughs> university, didn't happen. it ended up being a few months. Um, so from then on, I was juggling university and rugby the whole time thereafter. Must have been difficult, that. Um, yeah, it had its moments. I mean, there was once or twice I was thinking about not continuing the university. I remember one um, car ride with um, a, an England and British Lions player called Mike Catt. And yes. he coaches Ireland now. And I remember, in, 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 and he just looked at me when I said this. And I was thinking about not continuing university. And he just looked at me and said, you'd be an idiot if you stop. And so I, I, I persevered and... And, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was challenging, but, but really enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a couple of different Bath universities, isn't there? There's, there's the sort of team Bath element that we, we our mutual friend Paul Tisdale was part of. And then there's the other one. Yep. Were you part of the sporting one? Yeah. So, so I saw the university there, the sports facilities grow and grow. From when I first arrived there in 98, to then when I left Bath in 2008, the, the facilities, the, the way that it all just developed, the way Team Bath had started, the football had started, the netball team was hugely successful. Yeah. And, and for me, 
uh, this guy just loving sport, it didn't matter really what sport it was, seeing these people train, seeing them perform at the top level, you'd, you'd, you could w walk into the training facility and you'd be passing footballers and say netball players, you'd be passing people doing bobsleigh, people doing swimmers, you'd, and you'd just be astounded at how hard they train. And, and to be brutally honest, they put us into, as rugby players, they put us into, um, yeah, embarrassed us a bit in the way they trained. You know, you just, you're just you seeing just what, what these people do. Um, yeah. Just training at another level. Rugby, effectively, rugby's been a pretty young professional sport. Um, yeah. We turned professional in 1995, and, and even then, we've nudged and found the way through. And so it hasn't been long that we've been professional. So when I chat to football managers, football coaches, the every the challenges we 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 have, and I see now, football had them donkeys years ago and has seen them over and over and seen these things and so I think football in that sense is light years ahead of where rugby is yeah and and our system of like apprentices as I was and YTS um guess what <laughs> not many of us went to university yeah. and, and by the way I was in the first team at 17 really so that tells you how quick it can happen in the in the football way but um you regular listeners will be really worried that I've not introduced Tom and I've not introduced Howard. And that's because Howard was slightly late on parade. They are my par partners in crime. Welcome, Howard. Thank you. Sorry to hold you up. Good man. And, and introduce yourself to Steve. Please. Steve, uh, nice to meet you. Hey, Howard. Great to meet you. Howard's um, a, a, a long-term Spurs supporter and we, we, we have him involved for his sort of historical facts and figures of, of where the club has been in the past. And uh, Tom is the newer supporter. So we've sort of got it. I've got it from the dressing room, from the long past and the short past. So uh, to, to have a rugby uh, name like yourself on this podcast is quite, uh, is quite new. And people at home will be saying, what's he doing? Well, I'm interested if we can learn something from other sports to try and make our own game better. And some could say, well, we're the best league in Europe. We're this, we're that, we're the other. And I see too many things, too many weaknesses for that to be the case. And everyone could improve for sure. So you came through at Bath. And so Bath Rugby then saw you at Bath University and you decided to join from there. Yeah, so I'd, I'd kind of had contact with them before I joined university, and and ah. I, I came I came down to Bath um, in in 1998. They won the European Cup, and they won it. They played in Bordeaux and won the final. They were the best team in Europe, and I, as a young guy, and 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 I don't know what it was like for you when you joined Spurs and you you saw the first team as in you probably went to White Hart Lane the first time. I went to the Rec the first time. And I watched a game at the Wreck, and it was the European Cup semi-final, and the atmosphere um, around the town. And again, I don't know what it's like around Spurs when it's a big game. And I'd walk, walk through the town, and there's just energy in the town. Absolutely, and this place is unreal. And I watched this game, and and it'd have been eight or ten thousand. It wouldn't be like what you you have. And and I watched this game, this European Cup semi-final. And, and there I fell in love then and thought, this place is this place is unreal. I have to come here. I have to play here. I have to make it here. And um, the, so that's why I made the decision. And I, a really great coach called Andy Robinson 
was also there. I got to learn from him. Yeah. What what actually happened there is the team then was probably um, at its sort of peak. It was it was or it probably just about hit its peak. That was the that was the the top summit. It won everything. Then they were, now they won the European Cup, and the players have got a bit older and probably hadn't hadn't been um, they hadn't thought about what was coming next. And then um, so a couple of years later, a lot of those older players had retired. And yeah. the club decided, oh, we've got this great crop of young players. Myself was one of them. They could do it. And the reality is, um, the reality is having some of those old hands around to guide you, to say, you know, we, no, we've been here. You don't want to make that mistake. We made, I made yeah. that mistake. You don't want to make that mistake. Yeah. Um, and probably at that point in time, it, the club dropped very quickly. And, um, and then we kind of had to build it back up again, which, yeah. which happened, but it, it dropped. And, and that was probably a bit and I, I didn't see that all I saw was this, the, the great players the European champions the team you want to be part of going to win forever that kind of that's what I felt at the time I'm talking to the other two chaps now chaps do you remember we've had Yorkshiremen Northerners on this show talking yeah. about how they it was thought that they would soften up by coming south do you think Steve looks soft not exactly. <laughs> How about you, Tom? Yeah, be I wouldn't. Brave. Be brave. No, I wouldn't. I, I, I was just going to say, actually, I lived, I lived in Bath for a, for a year. I worked at the University of Bath um, in the School of Management up there. That's one of my um, earlier marketing jobs. And um, and the, the wreck, for anyone who hasn't been in Bath before, it's right there in the middle of the town. And so the, the atmosphere on match day is absolutely amazing. I can see why it would have um, pulled you in. At that, at, at that early stage, Steve. It yeah. turned you on, Steve. So I've got this picture, and 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 whilst it was a long, long time ago, I left Bath. Um, the, the 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 town sits in this bowl of hills around. Yeah. it. it's a UNESCO um, World Heritage Site, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I think so, and, and yeah. um, the the ground sits in the middle, and I've got this game, this picture of this game. Where yes, you've got the street lights and things that are on and, and lights and windows, but the town's dark, and then you've got this patch, this rectangle of grass, which is lit up with these floodlights in the middle of town. It's taken from the top of one of the hills. And at that point, the way it felt to me was everybody in the town is watching one thing, which is this rugby team. And that's that's probably the the, the way I came up that you represent the town, you represent the people, um, you've got a responsibility to them. And you know, when you step onto that rectangle of grass, you've got to give everything to make them proud of their team. And you're not going to win every game, but that's sure. That's probably the, the, sim the simple mentality I had and probably still have. Yeah. And um, what did you do at university? Uh, I studied, my um, undergraduate, I studied economics and politics. Um, and then I enjoyed that. I found it tough, but enjoyed it that much that late in my career when I, when I actually finished playing for England, I went and did a master's um, in management as well wow. at the University of Hertfordshire. Wow. Wow. I always tell the story, Steve, of uh, a country, I think it was Denmark, who turned their football professional. And after six months, the, the uh, players all had a vote and said, we don't like being professional. We need to go and do something else, study or work or whatever, and then do our football in the evenings. When it's just football, we, we can't think. Yeah. 
but that that obviously didn't happen in rugby. You you were delighted to be turned professional. Well, I, I think so, um, but I don't think that 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 definitely rings true. Um, and certainly, if I, we talked about playing at Bath when I was playing at Saracens. There was a period there where we had um, more than eighty percent of the players were doing something of education or job or apprenticeship or work experience of some kind alongside their playing career um, so that then guys were getting experiences for, for after playing. Where I actually thought, I saw these people being exposed to things and there weren't young players, older players, going and having to sit in meetings or present to boards or something like that rather than going home and sitting on an Xbox or PlayStation, which I've, yeah. I've never done. So I don't, I don't know. But, and, and you actually, rather than and what tended to happen is rugby players would live with rugby players and, and, and socialise with rugby players and only talk to rugby players and then, yeah. and then go out, with, you know, that, that kind of, that was your social network. But yeah. what, that it expanded people the way people thought what they did, where they spent their time. And I thought it had a performance benefit for us. And, and ultimately, rugby players don't earn enough money to be set up for life. So they've got to have a job afterwards. Yeah, love it. And Steve, um, going on into you being a captain, was that a bath then carried on into Saracens? Or yeah. how did that work? Yeah, so um, the the captaincy in, 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 in rugby, the... Do you have a? There's the tactical emphasis on the pitch. Um, you have there's there's all the different aspects of the leadership of the team, the standards which which you hold, the tactical emphasis that you have, the way you're trying to take the team, the motivation of the team. You're always trying to feel where the team is at. Yeah. Um, and now, it's something I actually really enjoyed. Um, and I actually did my master's and I, and I studied about the development of leadership in, in sports people because people kept saying to me, there's, there's a shortage of leaders. We're not producing leaders these days. And certainly something as a coach I look at now and go, um, am I giving them opportunity to be leaders? Am I giving them opportunity to fail or am I looking after everything? Because, you know, I, I don't want anything to fail and therefore they never learn. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was the reality. So you'd watch these older guys, you'd been there and done it, they'd chat to you, they'd, you'd, you'd, and you'd learn from their experience. And then you'd have those experiences, you'd train hard, you'd have those experiences, you'd try and remember what you'd been taught. You make mistakes, you learn from them. But then I think probably gradually that responsibility's moved away. And so yeah. then oh, you, you talked, we talked earlier before the show started about a decision that was made on the field. You know, like you see people on the sidelines, not, not so much in the premiership, but I watch it in other leagues where you see coaches on the sideline telling the captain decisions to make on the pitch. And you go, this is it. Uh, I can't, I'm not on the pitch. When I'm, and I know you, you've been a manager a long time and, you think you know, but you're in the stands or you're on the side. You don't have a, you can't feel what they're feeling. They they get the real real feel. Yeah, they get it. They get it. Chaps, um, talking about leaders. Do you think there's a lack of leaders in soccer? As you know, it's one of my bugbears is that there are far too many players like that who are taking the big money and enjoying it without necessarily putting in it the full effort in. And I listen to Steve talking here, and I can hear you talking here, Steve. Our oh, Steve. Yeah, because you are you are you're not quite the same as Steve, but you're both on the same wavelength of where you seem seem to be with players. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it's not a popularity contest, is it? For sure. No. Being a being a captain, you 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 sometimes. I I think in soccer, Steve, tell me about rugby. I think there's a lack of man talk. Yep. Uh, where people can't accept the criticism or whatever, and. Me and Steve spoke a couple of weeks ago in, in a local cafe and I was talking about working in Japan, as we both have, Howard, if you missed that part. And um, you had to be very careful in Japan digging out a player in front of the others yeah. because the shame they would have felt, you had to do it in private. Um, so Ozzy would do it in private, Ozzy was the manager. I would just have to drop one or two things in to let the group know that he hasn't got away with that. Do you know what I mean? Which is sort of half and half position. But, um, but yeah, um, I, I, I think the whole world are looking for, for leaders. That's what I think in, in soccer. And, and you don't go on a coaching course to be taught it. You don't you don't learn how to teach players to lead. Um, it just happens or it doesn't happen. And that's not really good enough, is it? And I, and I think the, 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 the players need support. So they need role models. They need support um, and those experiences. And, and as a coach, you've got to try and give them the opportunity where they might get it right and they might get it wrong. But you've got to, either way, you're going to support them through it. Because yeah. it's only by doing those things that they're going to, they're going to, they're going to learn. It's the only way I learned was by you know, making mistakes and fixing it and getting it right quick and having people around you that help you or stop you making the mistakes. Teammates, um, I think it's challenging for, for young people. I think it's far more challenging now. I, I retired in 2014, which I don't think was that long ago. Mm. But the, it's changed so much, and these young people, with everything they've got to deal with around all the social media. The, in 2014, I didn't deal, deal with that. I didn't have to deal with it. It was there. For Thank God. Um, so, uh, and, and I, but these guys have got to deal with an awful lot. So I think from a coaching perspective, I, I think I think coaching's changing, even in the, the, I feel I've been coaching a relatively brief period in comparison to yourself, Steve, by your, with your mm. wealth of experience. The, um, I think even in the short time I've been coaching, I, I think it's changing how you're going to deal with the players, how you've got to interact with them, how the, the support they've got to have, because there's a load of stuff going on that you, you might not be aware of with yeah. you know, checking. I've, I've heard stories, I've not seen it in rugby, I've heard stories about people checking their phones at half time um, to see what's going on on social media and see <laughs> that, that mistake they made in that first half they've been vilified for. And, and you know, wow, they, you, you've got to deal with that. And it's easy to say, well, why would you check? But you know, the young people do. And so how as a coach you support them through all those experiences is, is, is yeah. a part of coaching now. And do you think that your captaincy experience then led you sort of obviously into coaching and now as, as a head coach? Mm. You th do you think that's a natural progression? To, I, I found that one of the rules I went by or lessons I went by is if I, I got to a Saturday afternoon and I was saying a lot, um, it meant I'd messed up the week. It meant because I, I had to grab them on a Monday. And in generally in rugby, we, we only play once a week. 
Um, so, you know, and whilst it's, sometimes it's Friday, sometimes it's Sunday, generally Saturday. Um, and I think if I grab them on a Monday, and it, and it might not necessarily have been me speaking on a Monday, but going to some of the other leaders, having a quick word in an ear, so they're not hearing me all every day. And yeah. if I grab them on a Monday, build it on a Tuesday, a little bit more on a Wednesday, through, through the week, you got to a Saturday and you've had this, the message has been going, the message has been going. So you get to Saturday and they're talking it, and they're saying it. And you, you're going, right, I, I, not, all I need to do is channel this a little bit. I just need to nudge a couple of people, check, are they all right? Um, and and as, as a coach, I don't think too dissimilarly. I, I kind of think what, what they are, where are they, what's the message, what's the main thing they need to be concentrating on? And if I can get them talking about that, them carrying it and them taking it into the game, then I think we've probably got a better chance than we had otherwise. Mm. And Steve, so now you're in your second season. In soccer, people say the second season is the hardest. Although your first one wasn't a full season, was it? Um, it's been a weird. I had ten games of one season, and then I had a full season, and now I'm in. Now I'm. Oh, in. okay. So you are in your second. Yeah, it's been second a bit weird. full season as such. Yeah, and you're top of the league. We're not counting any chickens, of course not. It, too much can happen, can't it? Yeah. But uh, are you surprised at the progress of the team and the players? Um, um, am I surprised? Y yes, yes and no. A policy I've gone by is the, the league table. I've never mentioned it. I don't know what you did. I, I, I never mentioned it. We never talked about it. Um, set, this is really focused. How do we just get better? And, and right at the start of preseason, so let's just make sure our house is in order. Like I can't deal with, I can't do anything about any other team in the Premiership. I've sure. no control. So let's just be the best team we can be. Let's train hard. Let's train on what we think is the things we've got to get better at. And let's get better at them. And if we get better at them, I think we've got better chance of getting better results. So that's what we started at. And um, the players have grasped onto that. And, and at the same time, so I keep it, I don't talk too much about big, big picture or end goals. And I say, like, we've got a game in front of us. And, and this is certainly one thing I will learn in coaching very quickly. If you if you spend too much time looking too far behind on the wins you've got, mm. you're going to get smacked in the face coming right in front of you. And if you start uh, looking yeah. if you start looking too far ahead, yep. you know, smacking the face is coming. So uh, very much next game. And and yes, I, I've always got a bit of a plan. You know, I know what I want to do selection wise. I know what I want to do with the team tactically and how training. When do we need to train a bit harder? When do we need to pull back a little bit? I've got all that. But as far as I'm concerned, day to day, we just let's just get better this week. Um, yeah. That's what I try to do. And and I think that trying to take a bit of weight off the players in that sense. Let's enjoy this because ultimately, uh, you the. Being a professional sportsman, being involved in something you love doing, like you don't get not many people get that privilege. No, so absolutely. Work really hard and enjoy it as well, because it only lasts a pretty short time. Yeah. Steve, do you have a link with Leicester City in any way? So when I met Brendan, and I gotta say, um he was absolutely incredible. Um I sat there, I've got my notebook made pages and pages of notes. Gave us a full afternoon. And I was thinking, crikey, with, with all the all the stuff he would have to do and the, the, the pressures he, you know, a Premier League manager has, 
gave us a full afternoon of talking through how he changed, how he, what he did when he came in at Leicester City and how he lifted them up, what he, what he set his, his approach um, and talked about some of his stories and about what he'd done previously at other clubs. And yeah, I was gobsmacked by the generosity of him and then just the, the depth of thought and again, I refer back to what I said earlier. Football, I think, is, is a long way ahead of us and yeah. rugby. And when I go and sit with him for an afternoon, I thought that, yeah, he's miles ahead, miles ahead. It's just incredible. Me and Tiz went to spend a day with him. Um, it wasn't a day. It was two or three hours uh, when he was manager of Swansea City. And he was incredibly kind with his time and, and generous with, with everything. Uh, ideas and and facts and figures and um, ended up by coincidence that we sold our at that point we sold our most valuable young player to uh, to Swansea for 1.7 million pounds he wasn't actually the manager then but it it left us with a good feeling about less uh, with Swansea for instance so if if you were to win the the premiership do you think that would be a bigger surprise than Leicester City when they won the Premier League? Oh, um, oh wow. Um, uh, is Leicester, is Leicester um, historically a rugby place? Yeah, so the, it was always a rugby town. Was uh, it? Um, always been the most, Bath and Leicester, the two most successful teams. And then um, I think as, as Leicester City got better and better the impression I've got is it also coincided with the time where Leicester Tigers declined and um, I I think that what I see now is you can you can drive through Leicester and on on one house you'd have Leicester City flag there the next house is Leicester Tigers flag the next house is Leicester Leicester City some have got both in the windows and it's certainly a town that is or a city that's passionate about sport um that they're just yeah they're definitely passionate about this about sport which is which is great to be a part of it was always a clothing place Leicester wasn't it um have you been aware of that yeah so I think when you you go to a place uh, people ask me about why do you do you, why do you play the way you play or why do you do the way you why do you go about things the way you go by I always felt one it's got to be what I believe in I'm a head coach, and if I'm trying to do something I don't believe in, then it's not going to work. I think it's got to be right for the league you're in. You can play certain ways in different leagues. Um, I, I said it's got to be right for your players. You've got, but the other thing you've got to be really respectful of is the history of the place, the DNA of the place. And Leicester, so you read about it, you read about the area, the city. So you've got the, the city as you described there, the, the, the industry that was there. Outside the city, big farming territory, um, you know, hardworking people, tough people, um, you know, people who, yeah, just honest. That, that's earn, earn their living. They earn their living. So, in a way, I look at it now, what I want to see in their rugby team, because the rugby team was the worst in the league. And you go, so what do they want? They, they don't, I don't think they expect us to be winning every game because we were the worst in the league a year ago. So yeah. what they do expect is a team that works really hard and yeah. shows a lot of passion and a lot of fight and plays tough. And if we can do that, 
I think they'll be proud of us. And that's, that means a lot to me. Yeah. And if we can do that, then I think we'll be putting ourselves into position to win games as well. Yeah. Tom, you've got a question for Steve about COVID. Well, yeah, because uh, at the moment we don't even know if the Leicester game on Thursday is going to go ahead. Um, I think our first team went back into training yesterday, probably only about 12 or 13 of them from what I hear. And, uh, uh, and then today there's been an announcement that there's been another COVID case in the first team and possibly a few in the under-23s as well. So there's just a bit of uncertainty about whether Thursday's game is going to go ahead after Sunday was cancelled as well. Um, has there been any similar kind of chaos or, or, or effects within within your world, Steve, in, in a similar way? Yeah, there's been there's been a fair few. Um, the the probably the first time that really affected us. Sorry, there's there obviously effect that we only in lockdown. Leicester went or had an extended lockdown for a long period as well. Um, so that the yes. really Leicester's had a challenging time, a really tough time of it. Um, so we would train, we were allowed to train, but we had lines marked on the pitch that were a couple of meters apart so that the players could, you could run, you'd run in a lane and you, you, you couldn't go more than, you couldn't cross it so that, and everything filmed so you couldn't cross the line to go too close to another player. So in your lane, if, if we wanted to do, um, if you wanted to do contact thing work, you'd have your bag your in your lane that you'd hit and you'd pick up and you'd wash it down afterwards and so that before anybody it, there's all those regulations and, and we try to do everything to make sure that, that nothing could spread so those from that impact then we played that the last 10 games of that season and we had a the players had a only two or three weeks break and then we had a three week pre-season before the next season so the two seasons almost ran back to back yeah and then, so we had this three-week preseason. We did a few days of it, and a player tested positive. And at this point, effectively, training is then shut down. The training facility was closed for um, all deep clean, everything you have to do. And um, we couldn't train everyone home for two weeks. And then... Um, we, so we, this was the first game of the season coming up, and we had players having next to no, next to no training. In that, because we'd been, yeah, we'd all been at home, and I, I remember one player. Of, the team went out and they tried their hardest, and we were, we were for, you know, we fortunately won. The next week, we we played again, and we had a couple of soft tissue injuries, and ah. players that had. You know, we had this limited training and suddenly then, so they, they come out for a long spell. So then other players go into their positions and then they play more and train more because you've got, you, you've got a smaller squad now because you've got players. Yeah. So what happens to those players? And, and because they had such a short preseason as well, more injuries. So we ended up in the, going through the whole season with this particular position of people unfortunately just trying as hard as they could but they're just we're working off we're just just about getting them fit play a couple then then they drop off and somebody else gets fit it was a real challenging situation um and then we got to we got to christmas and 
we we went and played a game overseas in part of a European competition and came back and we had another test positive. And again, training shut down, a couple of games cancelled. Um, so it, it's it always been this situation and having clear protocols in place about your testing protocols, your training protocols, everything videoed so that if if a player does test positive, everything's contact traced. To, um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a different world right now. Amazing. Amazing. Howard, welcome back. Thank you. Howard, Sorry, have, the... you got, have you got a question for Steve? No, you keep it. You've, 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 you've gone straight through it. I was, I, was, I was just most interested in, in, in um, the training for the um, to train, train winners. We, I mean, all, all football clubs do, but we especially seem to be capable of buying players for a fortune who aren't, A, aren't worth it, and B, don't have the right attitude. Steve, Steve, do you um, do you do some sort of test on them with regard to attitude, or this is scouting before they join you? Yeah, I've heard about all in, in America about them doing all kinds of different analysis of things that um, we don't have budget for anything like that. So what what we what we do is we, um, we if we identify a position, we need to sign a player. We then get who's available, um, and then start shortlisting that by performance. Can they do the job we want them to do? And then you start asking people you know. And and and, and I probably football, I'd imagine, is a bit like rugby. It's a small world. Yeah. Within, within a, just a couple of degrees of separation, you know somebody who knows that person. And yeah, you're getting background checks and you're getting... And, and then you're watching them and you're watching when something goes wrong, how do they react? When the team loses, how do they react? When they win or something goes well, how do they react? And you're trying to watch it on video and you try and put that together with um, with, with everything else. And I've heard I've heard in, in other sports about the depth that people go to of chatting to school teachers and all the way down, find out more and more about this, this player. And... Um, we're not we're not at that level, but we try to be as diligent as we can to to find out how does this person react when things get tough. Because when things go well, the only danger you've got is is really people thinking it's more about them. But it's when things go tough, when things go hard, how are they going to react then? Yeah, yeah. Steve, could you tell us um, what you think Japan gave to you? Of course, you gave a lot to them. What what Japan gave to you and and also your family? Yeah, um, an incredible experience. Beautiful country, um, beautiful people. Um, made to feel so welcome. Um, gave me a start in my coaching career. Um, gave me you know, effectively in, in as a young coach. I still do now, but as a young coach you're making a lot of errors and having patience. And having patience with the, the players, I'm, I'm always grateful for that. Um, and I think trying different ways. Ultimately, I'd come, I'd only played my rugby in England. I, yeah, I've toured overseas, but yeah. I'd only played my rugby in England. And you go there, and some things aren't done the same way. And and maybe there's maybe there's a reason why things aren't done the same way. Maybe there's better ways. And and it opened my eyes to different ways of training, different ways of playing. Um, and then how it opened my eyes to thinking 
you used to, I'm used to being there and being able to say, I want you to do this and then that. And if you do those things, it'll be, and suddenly now I was trying to learn Japanese, but it wasn't, I wasn't that good. And I'm going, how on earth do I convince these guys that this is what you've got to do? Teach them to do it when I can't just say it. And, you know, so yes, you've got translated, but translators who are excellent, but you've got to find ways and they look at you and they go, well, that's not how we've done things before. And yeah. You're trying to convince them and teach them and, and help them. And then you, I learn and go, oh, maybe there is a better way. Maybe my way isn't the best way. So yeah. it was an incredible experience of thinking differently. Of, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm very grateful for that. And what about your family? Yeah, terrific. We, so we went over there. We, we had our, our, our little boy was, I think, 15 or 16 months old um, when we went over there. So we just had uh, one. And... Um, they the, the bits we saw we, if we stayed there longer after the World Cup in 2015 we came back but I'd love to have travelled with my family more than what we did you know, we went all the bits that you'd, you'd expect so we lived in the middle of Tokyo which was just a surreal experience in itself busy oh yeah <laughs> busy and quiet at the same time um, yeah how can you have so many millions of people living together, yet there's a lot of harmony? And Respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and cleanliness and, yeah, just all those things. It was just surreal. And um, you, you talk now, to, we talk to our boys, you know, you live today, he can't remember it, but for us as a young family to have had that experience, to live overseas, um, to learn another language, um, to, to not have everything, you, you can't just nip to the supermarket like we do here and have everything you're used to because the supermarkets, they don't have everything in there that you're used sure. to. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, it was, it was a brilliant experience. Um, it's probably, a test, test in some ways. Yeah. And, to and, make do, to make do with things that you can't quite get, but you can get that instead. Yeah. Can we cope it. with that, especially wives? Yeah. Can we cope with it? I remember my wife, going to look for sugar and she came back with flour or something. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why she learned Japanese in 18 months. Bless yeah. her. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know if you saw this bit of film, but there's a Japanese player playing at Celtic and he got substituted. Howard, have you seen this? He got, oh sub he got substituted. So he come off. And you sort of always watch the sub, don't you? Because you think, yeah. has he got the needle? Has he, has he going to show some dissent? What was he going to do? You know what he did? Pick litter up along the touchline. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't weigh up Japanese people, I don't know what yeah. does. It was amazing. He just saw litter as he's walking off and decided to bend down and pick it up. <laughs> wow, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we loved it, Steve. We loved uh, Japan and we weren't in Tokyo. It was in a, a little bit less uh, busy place near. You've been on the fast train and you go past Fuji. That was the sort of area where we lived and uh, just magnificent people. Magnificent. So and what we found, myself and Ozzy, was that you are you're like the sensei. And we follow you. And in some ways, you, you are doing a bit of the thinking for them. But when you convince them that that's the right way by 
your results and they're having fun playing and fun training, etc. Then the, it's a flow of of uh, learning. So uh, great, great place, wonderful place. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I was fortunate. We went back there for the World Cup in 2019. Yeah, um, so having lived there for a couple of years in 2014, 2015, then you, you go. I went, just, went back once or twice in, in that time doing recce's for the World Cup, and then we spent two months. Yeah, two more, probably more than two months in Japan. Um, touring it again, going to see in other places we were. Um, yeah, yeah, very, very fortunate in in doing what I do, doing what you do, that you get to see places like that and meet people, the type of people we met. I'll give you a leadership story about Japan. So Aussie leaves, I take over. We do well because me and Aussie put a lot of time into that team, and then new people took over. Uh, in terms of ownership and they come up with an idea that instead of traveling green car the 11 that I picked and me would travel green car and everyone else would travel second class so I said that's never going to happen why not why not because we are all green car i.e first class Oh, we're all second class. You decide what you want to do, but it's one or the other. If you're going to break up our team that we've spent four years building, this togetherness, this family group, you must be mad. Anyway, they didn't do it. So I think that's being a proper leader. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll suffer, but I'll, have, I'll suffer with all of them. So, Steve, listen, been great to talk to you. I do appreciate it. We could have gone on forever here, chaps, couldn't we? Absolutely. Ah, my word. So, such a such a, an experience talking to you. And we wish you the very best in the rest of the season, Steve. And hopefully we can meet up in the local cafe again. Um, make sure your mum doesn't have to call you Stephen too many times between now and the end of the season. And uh, I wish my mum could call me Stephen again, just just one more time at least. But um, been great to speak to you, and good luck to your family. And uh, stay clear of that COVID, will you? Because we'll you don't need it. We'll great. Do. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, uh, troops. Um, let's see if we can get a game in very soon. Um, we like the look of Conte. Uh, is making good signs. He says some fantastic things about working together and being a group and all that stuff. And why that hasn't happened before, I'm not quite sure. But um, we're, we're all a bit more positive to how this season's going to turn out. So thanks for listening and come on, you Spurs! Mm-hmm.